For over a month, the left has insisted we lock down our country. Towns, cities, even whole states have ordered citizens to stay locked in their homes. But now that President Trump is applying that logic to the national level by locking down our borders, the left is up in arms. Foreign nationals can hop our fences and enter the country by the millions. But you can't take a simple walk around the neighborhood. Doesn't seem very fair. Then, CNN's Chris Cuomo stages some Broadway caliber fake news before getting caught in the obvious lie. New York's Mayor de Blasio calls for a ticker tape pandemic parade. Probably not the smartest thing. And an Earth Day co-founder murders his girlfriend. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Once again, it's all about immigration. President Trump, when he walked down that escalator in 2015 and announced he was running for president, he made immigration the issue of his campaign. That was considered controversial at the time. The other Republican candidates didn't really want to touch it. Trump totally embraced the issue. And guess what? That issue propelled him to win the Republican nomination. Despite what you heard in the mainstream media, despite what you heard from establishment Republicans, there was broad consensus among Americans that we had to stop illegal immigration, that we had to reduce legal immigration. This was backed up in public opinion poll after public opinion poll. Now we're locking down the whole country, right? You're not allowed to leave your home. Not only are you not allowed to go to bars and restaurants, if you leave your home to go on a walk around the neighborhood, there's a chance that you will be harassed by a cop. That's how certain we are that we need to lock this down. That's how certain we are that walls work. And yet, when you try to apply this logic to the national level, the left goes crazy. They're furious. They say, no, forget about the virus. Forget, listen, the virus is only something American citizens have to worry about. We should continue to flood the country with immigration. That doesn't make a lot of sense. It's a, it's a double standard. So President Trump is going hard once again after the immigration issue. He is going to halt all immigration, virtually all immigration, to the United States for 60 days for two specific reasons in this pandemic. Here's President Trump. In order to protect American workers, I will be issuing a temporary suspension of immigration into the United States. You heard about that last night. By pausing immigration, we'll help put unemployed Americans first in line for jobs as America reopens. So important. It would be wrong and unjust for Americans laid off by the virus to be replaced with new immigrant labor flown in from abroad. We must first take care of the American worker, take care of the American worker. This pause will be in effect for 60 days, after which the need for any extension or modification will be evaluated by myself and a group of people based on economic conditions at the time. This pause on new immigration will also help to conserve vital medical resources for American citizens. A short break from new immigration, depending on the time we're talking about, will protect the solvency of our healthcare system and provide relief to jobless Americans. Now listen to the way he frames this. This is so smart. It, you would think that the way to frame the immigration issue during a pandemic is to make it a question of public health. Obviously, right? If I'm not allowed, I'm a New Yorker. I live in California right now. I'm not allowed to go to New York 
because people are afraid of spreading the virus. So if, if we've got to reduce even the travel among American citizens to other states, certainly we should be reducing the travel of people from different countries that are affected by the virus into the United States, right? Certainly travel from China, maybe Italy, maybe anywhere all over the place. But he doesn't frame it as a public health issue. He frames it as an economic issue. And the reason for that is one, this is primarily an economic issue. You've got 22 million Americans who lost their jobs over the last four weeks. Who knows how many over the past week? We still don't have those numbers yet. And so with unemployment now approaching 20%, surely you should not be flooding the country with millions of immigrants per year. I mean, that's, that's always been kind of at the bottom of the, of the immigration issue for the majority of Americans. There are cultural aspects as well, sure. But for, I think for most people, what it comes down to is an economic issue. When you flood the country with immigrants, then all of a sudden you've got much more competition for certain jobs and the wages decrease. He makes it an economic issue also because then it's very clearly not a racial issue, right? That's what the left always says. And they did it this time again, as always. This is xenophobia. It's racist. It's bigoted. No, it's economic. <laughs> He's saying, no, I'm not, I don't care. I'm not even complaining about what language they speak, how they look, how they dress, what, you know, what their names are. That's not the problem. The problem is a simple economic fact. When you've got 22 million Americans who lose their jobs in a month, you shouldn't flood the country with foreigners who are going to compete for their jobs once the economy reopens. Very simple, not xenophobic. Of course, that did not stop the mainstream media from smearing Trump as racist. But there is a number coming out of public opinion polling that should make the media and the left very wary of using that race baiting tactic. We'll get to it in a second. First, I've got to thank our friends over at NetSuite. You know, now more than ever, with this level of economic uncertainty, businesses need systems that give them complete visibility into their numbers. NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system, NetSuite gives you the financials, cash flow, payroll, inventory, and more all in one place so that you have clear visibility and total control of your business. NetSuite customers have the flexibility to work from anywhere with immediate clarity on critical information right at their fingertips. Very helpful these days. No more guessing, no more waiting. Make smarter decisions with confidence. Okay, join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to stay in control. Uh, it would be a big mistake to blindly stumble through the crisis that we're in right now. Okay, so check out uh, NetSuite. It will give business owners the tools they need right now. Receive your free guide, Managing Business Uncertainty, and schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash Knowles. Don't wait to get your free guide and schedule your free product tour. netsuite.com slash Knowles, netsuite.com slash K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Trump could not have been more crystal clear about this issue. It's an economic issue. So naturally, the media screams racism. Since the outbreak, the White House has been using the virus to justify increased restrictions on immigration. They've basically been working up to this. A move like this, though, would be absolutely unprecedented and would essentially shut down the legal immigration system. And one thing is certain, this is definitely going to be challenged in court. Opponents are calling this xenophobic. This morning, the president's hardline immigration supporters, they are praising the move, but opponents are calling it xenophobic. Okay, basically nothing that she's saying on the issue itself is accurate here or even, or, or even journalism. 
Because look the way that she frames it. Always. Opponents are calling this xenophobic. Who are the opponents? What are their names? Are their names ABC News? Because <laughs> I think those are the opponents. You just don't want to admit that you oppose it because it makes you look like a hack. So the, the only people who support it are hardline immigration hawks, really probably racists, am I right? And the people who oppose it, they're opponents. And they're calling it xenophobic. Okay, the, I, look, I'm just reporting the news. That's what they call it, not me. And then those hardline maniac clansmen over there, they're the ones who support this. Well, public polling shows that that's not right. It's actually the opposite. But then the way she even frames the issue, the whole issue is Trump has been building up to this. Oh, he, he was so happy when that pandemic came around. Oh, he couldn't be more happy about coronavirus because it gives him a chance to shut down immigration, which is so unfair and wrong and illogical. No, it's not. It's perfectly logical. You're saying everybody's got to shut down except the immigrants. The immigrants get to flood the country by uh, 2 million a year. I don't think so. So they're, they're pushing this xenophobia narrative. Not just her though. You're, you're getting uh, even actually more from ABC on the bigotry, on the racism, on the xenophobia. There were strict orders. There are strict orders already in place, but even a temporary pause would be unprecedented in this country. Look, here's what we know. There will be some exceptions, exceptions, exemptions rather, for healthcare workers, agriculture workers, people like that. But you heard the president say this is about protecting American jobs. He also says this is about protecting Americans from the coronavirus. But David, we've got to tell you, America has more confirmed coronavirus cases than anywhere else in the world. We should also note that the number of immigrants who are on the front lines in this fight, right? Right now, one in four doctors, one in three nurses are immigrants. David, opponents say that this is a clear example of the president using this virus to further his hardline immigration policies. This one sure to end up in the courts, David. That's what opponents say. <laughs> Hi, that's my report. I am opponent. Virtually nothing that she just said here is true. She says it would be unprecedented to drastically reduce immigration. We've done that multiple times in this country. Most notably in 1924, we more or less shut down the immigration system and that persisted for decades until Teddy Kennedy reopened the whole thing and uh, uh, transformed the country in a hope to try to get some more votes for the Democratic Party. It's happened before that as well. So not unprecedented. Then she says that he's using the coronavirus uh, public health scare as the basis for the immigration order. That just is not true. You heard what he said. It's an economic question. He's not making it a question of public health. And then the opponents say, sure, the opponents do say it at ABC News. Not just ABC News, though. NBC News was getting in on it as well. It's still unclear when he'll sign it. But even without an executive order, immigration during the coronavirus crisis has already slowed dramatically, with the administration imposing broad travel restrictions and suspending immigrant visas. Critics say the order is a political dog whistle aimed at energizing the president's base. Yeah, that's what the critics say and the opponents say. And are the critics and opponents ABC or are they NBC? I guess they're NBC. It's a dog whistle. What is a dog whistle? A dog, what he's saying is it's racist, right? Dog whistle is used almost exclusively in the context of racism. You notice how it's only the left that ever hears this dog whistle? The right never seems to hear it. I guess that would make the left the dogs, doesn't it? <laughs> if you're the only one who hears the dog whistle... Uh, I believe that makes you the dogs. Uh, there's nothing dog whistly about this. First of all, it's obviously not a dog whistle because President Trump has been campaigning on this since the first day of his presidential political career. Immigration has been the issue, as it should be. Republicans don't get this. Conservatives don't get this. 
because they believe the left-wing narrative. Immigration is a winning issue. Cutting immigration, I mean, <laughs> not encouraging it. Encouraging more immigration is a losing issue among huge swaths of the American public. Harvard-Harris poll just came out. A total of 83%, more than five, what, five and six people or so, say that they favor a moratorium on immigration through the Southwest border amid the pandemic. Not reduce it a little bit, not reduce it a lot. Stop it completely. 83% of all Americans, not just Republicans, not just Trump supporters. That figure includes three quarters of Mexican Americans. Very difficult for this to be a racist order if the race that it's allegedly discriminating against overwhelmingly supports the order. (laughs) 75% of Mexican Americans think we should completely shut down the border during the pandemic. And then 93% of Republican voters think we should completely shut down the border amid the pandemic. I remember there was a poll that came out, I think now it was about a year and a half, two years ago, among Democratic, moderate, independent voters. The majority of them supported reducing not just illegal immigration, but legal immigration. And not just a little bit, but a lot, reducing it by something like 60%. Okay, this is just common sense. We now have the highest foreign-born percentage of the population that we've had in well over 100 years. This creates problems in any sort of country, but particularly in ours, which does not have a particularly racial identity, right? There are a whole lot of people in this country. does not have a particularly long history. We're a relatively young country. So assimilation is very important. And you've got the left discouraging assimilation, encouraging people uh, not to assimilate to the United States. So, of course, if you flood it with immigrants, it's going to be much more difficult. You know, politics is circumstantial and contextual. You have to uh, deal with, with new and changing circumstances. Right now, when you've got a ton of immigrants in the country and not a lot of assimilation, that would be the time to reduce it, whether there's a pandemic or not. And the vast majority of Americans agree on this issue. But Republicans don't learn that because they don't want to be called racists. It, it is obviously not a racist issue. Ask the three quarters of Mexican Americans who support the order. What people are not getting is that immigration matters because it is an existential issue in a democracy. In a dictatorship, it doesn't really matter, right? Because you're going to get the same policies regardless of who comes in and out of the country. In a monarchy, in an oligarchy, sure. In a democracy, immigration will directly affect the kind of governance you get, the kind of country you have immediately. When the people decide how the government is run, then it really, really matters how the people are made up. This is uh, obviously not a matter of racial solidarity. There is incredible solidarity generally on this issue among all different races, all different kind of people, all different political ideologies. There's some rumor coming out right now that the certain advisors in the White House are encouraging Trump to back off of this executive order. They're out of their minds. They're insane. Trump should have done this years ago. Okay. Because even when we talk about a moratorium on immigration, he's not saying a total stop all immigration. That would be crazy. There are always uh, exigencies. There are always cases where, you know, someone needs to come into the country where it would be unfair to shut it down completely, but it should be drastically reduced. This is not even a new idea on the right. 
You know, I remember on Firing Line, on William F. Buckley's program, in the 1990s, they were debating uh, whether or not to drastically reduce legal immigration, not just illegal, but legal immigration. And you had Ariana Huffington in the affirmative saying that we should reduce legal immigration. That was back when she was more conservative. Still, this was a totally open topic for a debate among the totally most mainstream conservatives ever. This is not some fringe idea. It's not some new idea. It has a longstanding history in the United States and Trump should do this quickly. Joe Biden, of course, already opportunistically trying to flip on this issue. Uh, Unfortunately, Joe's not particularly sprightly these days. So his uh, new attack on Trump is falling very flat. It, It highlights just about everything that is wrong with the Biden campaign and the state of the left right now. A lot of hypocrisy, not just on that issue, but even on the reopening of various states. We'll get to that in a second. First, I got to thank our pals, the Benham brothers. You know, uh, I've been around LA long enough to have seen a lot of get rich quick schemes. A lot of people have told me this is how they're going to totally change their life overnight. And you know, they're going to get really, really rich and you know, they've reached, they're going to reach the top of success and they're miserable. So what's the secret to building a business? The truth is you can grow a business without sacrificing your family and character. Might not be a get rich quick overnight kind of thing. That's not going to happen but you can grow your business and you can keep your character. That brings me to the Benham brothers, all right? They've got over a dozen businesses, including a real estate empire that spans over 35 states, and they didn't sell their soul for it. And it wasn't just some kind of crazy fluke con overnight, right? They built it strongly over time and they kept their character. You might remember the Benham brothers. They were slated for a reality TV show on HGTV and they were canceled because of their commitment to conservative values. So-called business coaches tell you that your life has to take a backseat to your hustle. Nah, David and Jason Benham are proof that that is a lie. Just this week, the Benham brothers launched their new course, Expert Ownership. It's the model they've used to build each one of their businesses. And whether you're sick of the nine to five or you have a 10-year-old business, Expert Ownership can help you to achieve your goals. Right now, they're offering 15% off to new members. Check out a preview of that course and take advantage of that discount over at benhambrothers.com slash Knowles. That's B-E-N-H-A-M brothers.com slash Knowles. Head on over, check out the course. Joe Biden is now trying to take advantage of this situation. You remember initially when, when Trump shut down travel from China, Biden called it xenophobic. He criticized him for it. But now I guess Biden's seeing the same poll numbers on this immigration issue that all the rest of us are. And so he's now criticizing Trump for not shutting down travel fast enough, for not being hard enough on China. Here is Joe Biden's implausible attack ad. He failed to act. So now Trump and his allies are launching negative attacks against Joe Biden to hide the truth. Here are the facts. Joe Biden warned the nation in January that Trump had left us unprepared for a pandemic. Then Biden told Trump he should insist on having American health experts on the ground in China. I would be on the phone with China and making it clear, we are going to need to be in your country. You have to be open. You have to be clear. We have to know what's going on. But Trump rolled over for the Chinese. He took their word for it. The president tweeted, China has been working very hard to contain the coronavirus. The United States greatly appreciates their efforts and transparency. China, I spoke with President Xi and they're working very, very very hard 
and I think it's going to all work out fine. Trump praised the Chinese 15 times in January and February as the coronavirus spread across the world. It's a tough situation. I think they're doing a very good job. All the negative ads in the world can't change the truth. So I've got a couple of observations here. First, this is ridiculous. uh, Donald Trump is famously tough on the Chinese. Joe Biden very publicly criticized him for being so tough on the Chinese, including recently, including at the beginning of this pandemic, where he said now is not the time for Trump's terrible, awful xenophobia. Coronavirus emanated from China. A national emergency, you know, worldwide alerts. The American people need to have a president who they can trust what he says about it, that he is going to act rationally about it. In moments like this, this is where the credibility of the president is most needed as he explains what we should and should not do. This is no time for Donald Trump's record of hysteria, xenophobia, hysterical xenophobia. So Biden's ad is just not credible on this point, right? We have the video. It happened very recently. But worse than that, my actual takeaway from that ad is just how outdated it is. Did you hear that the voice, Donald Trump says he's tough on China, but really he's not. Donald Trump, bad on China, bad for America. I'm Joe Biden, and this is the 1980s. Like, it just sounds so old. It's just, that's not how political ads are done anymore. That's how political ads were done when I was a child, when Joe Biden was only... (laughs) 85. (laughs) It's just, he just hasn't kept up and that's fine. I mean, it's not like Joe Biden is sitting there in the edit bay, putting the the script together, but obviously his consultants are doing that. What consultants did he hire? Did he like hire the guys from the Mondale campaign or something? Did he, he picked up, uh, yeah, listen, Truman's consultants are free now. Maybe we'll hire them for the campaign. It's just, it's old and it, it, it underscores every problem the Biden campaign already has. What does he accomplish here? Does he convince people of the point he's making that Trump is easy on China? No, nobody thinks that Trump is too easy on China. Uh, Nobody thinks that Biden is tougher on China than Trump. So Biden hasn't won over any independent voters or fence-sitting voters, right? However, Biden has irritated the left which is now accusing him of xenophobia for his ad. They're saying, hey, don't be so tough on China, Joe. That's racist. That's bigoted. That's xenophobic. So he hasn't won over any new voters. He hasn't encouraged his own voters. If anything, he maybe has lost some who are, who are too liberal and who are already skeptical of Joe Biden. And then worst of all, he's confirmed everybody's fears that he's just passed his sell-by date because he's campaigning like it's 1992 instead of 2020. Compare that ad that Biden just put out to the ad that President Trump released just two days ago about Joe Biden. Not another commercial. The kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down so it was trained and then watch the hair come back up again. They'd look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I love kids jumping on my lap. It's like these ads came from two different centuries because really they did, 
right? The Joe Biden ad is a 20th century political ad. Very direct, very ominous, pretty hacky, not particularly credible with the serious deep voice man on it. And the Trump ad is a 21st century ad. It's funny. It comes in, it, it comes at the attack from a, an interesting angle, right? It's not just Joe Biden's really old. Joe Biden, old for the campaign trail, old for America. It's not, it's not that direct ad. It's memeing. It's making, it's kind of using another TV commercial that's prominent in pop culture and then putting faces on it in like a kind of weird way. Like it looks like it was thrown together in, in two hours and then using the old commercial to look like they're making fun of Barack Obama for endorsing Joe Biden. Joe Biden, who is actually the target of the commercial, he's secondary to the whole thing. That's how interesting it is. That's how compelling it is. That's how much it pulls you in. And it's high energy. It's not bum, bum, Donald Trump is bad and a liar. It's DJ cool. It's like rap music, hip hop at the end, right? Jump, jump. (laughs) Uh, Really sad. And I think indicative of the two campaigns because Joe Biden was supposed to stay at home for the pandemic, get a refresher, recharge his batteries, hit the campaign trail again next month. And that hasn't happened. He's gotten even more exhausted, apparently. Whereas President Trump, all energy, all the time, every single day in front of the press. uh, You know, it's evidence that when you work more, you work more, right? Joe Biden's been out of national politics now for four years, and he looks like it. He's just not up to speed. Whereas Donald Trump, every single day, he seems to get more energy. Now, regardless of the production quality of these two campaigns, it is amazing that Joe Biden can air that ad and no one in the mainstream media will call him out for it, right? He can completely flip his position. No one will care. There is this hypocrisy, right? This incredible hypocrisy on the whole issue. The left says walls work in your home and they want to lock you behind those walls for 18 months, but they say walls don't work at a national level and we got to flood the country with illegal aliens. You're seeing the same thing on jails, right? They're saying, we got to let all the criminals out of jails so that they don't get coronavirus. But if you have the audacity to go to drive through church, we're going to arrest you. If you go for a walk in the neighborhood, we're going to arrest you. It's just exactly backwards. It's just this perfect hypocrisy. You're even seeing this, not just on the pandemic itself, but on the way that states are reopening. When conservative states reopen, the left loses its mind and they've got blood on their hands. When a liberal state reopens, it's a wonderful, measured, rational policy. We'll get to that in one second. Then we'll get to uh, Mayor Bolshevik out of New York, who is, he is reaching levels of stupidity that you wouldn't have thought possible. Speaking of which, we've got AOC, and then we've got to touch on Earth Day. It's Earth Day. Did you forget that? So did everybody else. But first, I've got to remind you that we have got a Daily Wire backstage tonight. It's happening the lockdown can't keep us down. We're going to be there smoking stogies, exercising our lungs so that we make sure that we're nice and healthy. Uh, You should come check it out. If you are not a member already, oh boy, you thought you were just going to get this one leftist ears tumbler, right? That would be helpful. That would be good these days because the left is falling apart. Joe Biden, Chris Cuomo got caught in a big lie. We'll get to that. You don't just get one. You get wait for it, wait for it. You get two. You get two leftist tears tumblers. That is mathematically, I'm no genius. That's twice as good. 
Become an Insider Plus or All Access member. Double your tiers with two leftist tiers. Tumblers go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Get started. Get 10% off with coupon code Knowles. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. Coupon code Knowles. Get the rarest of all beverage vessels times two. We'll be right back. A tale of two states and the mainstream media. Two states are reopening. Actually, some more states than that are reopening, but two I think are really indicative. Georgia and Colorado. Georgia is a conservative state with a Republican governor. Colorado, increasingly a liberal state with a Democratic governor. They are both reopening. Okay. How do you think the media are covering them? Probably exactly the same and totally fairly, right? Uh, maybe not. Georgia reopening. If you just type this into Google news, Georgia reopening. Georgia governor defends plan to reopen gyms, nail salons. He's got to defend it because it's, it's obviously crazy. It's obviously worth, worthy of being attacked. New York Times, Georgia, Tennessee, and South Carolina move to reopen as hot spots emerge. Why the, why the hell are they reopening? The hot spots are emerging. That's what the media told me. Lindsey Graham warns that Georgia is opening too soon amid coronavirus. Newsweek, Georgia Governor Kemp defends reopening of state. New York Times, I am beyond disturbed internal dissent as states reopen despite virus. That shows up right on the first page of the Georgia results. Washington Post, 13 hours ago, Georgia leads the race to become America's number one death destination. Okay. CNN, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp faces resistance over move to reopen the economy. TMZ, Atlanta's celebrity hairstylists and makeup artists not cool with Georgia reopening. Well, if the hairstylists are not cool with it, then I guess we got to stay shut down. You know, it's funny too, the last time that the mainstream media was attacking Georgia, it was attacking Georgia because it would not allow people to kill their babies in Georgia. Remember? So they actually, certain liberal institutions, universities, they wouldn't allow you to travel to Georgia because it was uh, insistent that you not kill your baby there. But now they're accusing it of being America's number one death, death destination. Last time they were accusing it for not being enough of a death destination. So that's Georgia. How about Colorado, which is doing the same thing. How Colorado will slowly reopen from its coronavirus stay-at-home order. Oh, slowly. It sounds measured. Governor Polis outlines initial plan for lifting some restrictions, allowing certain businesses to reopen. Wow, makes total sense. Colorado moving to safer at home status. Well, that sounds like it's, he's taking it even more seriously. Now, a safer at home status is a code word for reopening, but it's different than, than stay at home status. Like you have to stay at home. This is safer at home, so you'd be better to stay, but you can go out. With Colorado's stay at home order successful, Polis outlines plans to reopen. It was so successful that now we're good because we beat coronavirus. Forget about all those hotspots reemerging. It's okay. It's successful. We're good. Denver Post, Colorado to shift from stay at home to safer at home as some businesses can begin reopening this week. I mean, on and on and on. This is what you can expect for the next, well, for the next forever, but certainly during this pandemic. Whenever Republicans do anything, it will be bad and they will have blood on their hands. Whenever Democrats do the exact same thing, it will be wonderful and successful and saving lives. You've got to tune out the news on this. 
the news. It's not the news. You've got to turn, tune out the mainstream media on this. They are at this point just lying to you. CNN's Chris Cuomo is actually lying to you. We have proof positive of it. And it's a, it's a hypocrisy of the sort. You've never seen anything like it. First, we got to check in though on North Korea. You remember how Kim Jong-un was apparently gravely ill, possibly brain dead, possibly just dead altogether. Well, we still don't know. No one's seen him for a long time. Brett Baer of Fox News, one of the last good journalists left in America, asked President Trump this question yesterday at the press briefing. North Korea, what do you, what can you tell us about the status of Kim Jong-un? Well, uh, these are reports that came out and, uh, we don't know. We don't know. I've had a very good relationship with him. I wouldn't, uh, you know, I can only say this. I wish him well because, uh, uh, if he is in the kind of condition that the reports say, that the news is saying, that would be a, uh, that's a very serious condition, as you know. But I wish him well. And we've had a good relationship. I've said it, and I've said it many times. If somebody else were in this position, we would have been right now at war with North Korea. And we're not at war, and we're nowhere close to war with North Korea. So uh, I just have to say to uh, Kim Jong-un, I wish him very, you know, good luck. Good luck. I mean, they came out with very, very serious medical reports. Nobody's confirmed that. It's, uh, uh, it was CNN that came out. So when CNN comes out with a report, I don't place too much credence in it. <laughs> like that line at the end. I mean, the North Korea update, there is no update. We don't know where the guy is. We don't know if he's alive or dead or not. I just love that bit at the end. Look, the report's from CNN. If CNN comes out with it, take it with a grain of salt. And he's right. He's not just right on it as a general point. CNN just got caught in a lie that would have made Joseph Stalin blush, in propaganda that would have made the most hardened leftist cynical liars blush. And it was CNN using one of their main anchors to do it, Chris Cuomo, whose brother is Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York maybe the most prominent governor in the whole coronavirus epidemic. I've actually got to get through three New York stooges right in a row, one more ridiculous than the next. Chris Cuomo got coronavirus and he kept doing his show. So obviously it wasn't that bad. And he was hunkering down in his basement. So he said, and now after weeks and weeks in isolation, didn't see his kids, didn't see his wife, didn't see anybody, probably just getting gruel and slop put through like a common prisoner. He was able to reemerge from his basement and he filmed the whole thing, but something just seemed off. It seemed a little bit artificial. All right, here it is. The official re-entry from the basement, cleared by CDC, a little sweaty, just worked out, it happens. This is what I've been dreaming of, literally for weeks. My wife, yeah, right. <laughs> She was cleared by the CDC. She doesn't have fever. She doesn't have the symptoms anymore. More than seven days from her quarantine. We're still a little scared, so I'll just give you one of these. 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 Bella has, of course, taken the video. This is the dream, just to be back up here doing normal things. Did anything about that seem normal to you? Did anything about that seem credible at all? No, it's weird, right? Like he didn't, he hasn't seen his wife and kids in weeks and that's how he says hello to them. He hasn't been out of the basement ever, not once at all, not even after they went to bed. 
Uh, that doesn't seem very credible. He would film this moment. It's just, it's just weird, right? Also, Chris Cuomo is a journalist. He's supposed to cover stories, right? He's not supposed to be the story, and yet he's making this whole segment about him. What's this all about? Well, it turns out that whole segment that you just saw is a lie. It's a lie because Chris Cuomo has already left his basement probably multiple times. We know he's left his basement because a week ago he was caught outside standing very close with his family by uh, somebody who was on a bicycle who he ended up getting into an altercation with and they had words and they argued and, and we know that he violated the order that his own brother instituted. So on Easter Sunday, 65-year-old East Hampton man was uh, riding his bike and saw Cuomo outside with his wife and another woman and three kids. So one of the women approached this guy, whose name is David, according to the New York Post, and said, may I help you? And David said, he asked Cuomo why Cuomo was not social distancing, like he had been talking about doing on his own CNN show and like his brother mandated everybody in New York do. And how do you think Cuomo responded? You remember the last time somebody approached Cuomo and called him Fredo at a, at a bar in New York, Cuomo just starts screaming at him, gets in his face, threatens to beat him up. So Cuomo, typical Fredo fashion, goes out there and, and reportedly says, quote, who the hell are you? I can do what I want. And apparently he just ranted and he was screaming. He said, I'll find out who you are. And David, the 65-year-old man, the senior citizen says, your brother's the coronavirus czar and you're not even following his rules, unnecessary travel. And apparently, by the way, this guy, David's apparently a Democrat who voted for Cuomo. And David says, he just began to boil more. He said, this is not the end of this. You'll deal with this later. We will meet again. If that's not a threat, I don't know what is. Okay. So maybe David's just making this up, right? Could be. Maybe David's just not telling the truth, except a week ago, Chris Cuomo himself admitted that this happened. He talked about the altercation and he was apparently even more angry then than he was in person. And I don't want some jack loser, fat tire biker um, to be able to pull over uh, and get in my face and in my space and talk bullshit to me. I don't want to hear it. That's what this is all about. Do you remember a week ago? This was a weird news story. I didn't even cover it on this show because I, I don't really care that much about Chris Cuomo. There was this headline, Chris Cuomo did a radio interview and he said he's upset about what he's doing and he doesn't like his job and he, he wants to quit and he doesn't like being the public eye. And then he kind of walked it back the next day and he thought, what, what was that? That was so weird. Apparently this whole stunt, this walking out of the basement for the first time, it's all just to cover up this fact that Chris Cuomo was not abiding by the quarantine order or the social distancing. He was not listening even to his own brother, who was the governor of New York. And then he was going on CNN and lying about it to you and making himself the story. And he continues to lie about it today. The people pushing the lockdowns don't believe in them. Okay. I have now been saying, and I've, I've been saying it for weeks that this doesn't seem very credible because, well, one, all of the models turned out to be incorrect and overblown as we said they very likely would be. There's no evidence that the lockdowns are doing anything at all, that they're saving any lives, okay? We're, we're told that the lockdowns are to flatten the curve. I think people don't know what flatten the curve means. Flatten the curve does not mean save lives necessarily. Flatten the curve means reduce the peak number of cases to below the hospital capacity, right? Because if you go above the hospital capacity, then people could die because there are, just aren't enough beds, there aren't enough doctors. If you push it below the hospital capacity, you're good. Now, people are still going to die, but 
there's no way to control at that point. There's no way to reduce how many people will die because flattening the curve doesn't reduce the number of infections, doesn't reduce the number of people absent and, and hospital over, overwhelming that will die from the coronavirus. It just spreads it out. It just makes it last a little bit longer. The only way that flattening the curve could reduce the number of deaths is if the hospitals are overrun, which isn't happening anywhere, including in New York, or if we can get a vaccine quickly, which we can't, we don't have a vaccine. And the experts are saying it's going to take 18 months, but the virus is already spreading so fast that won't matter. The people who are going to get it are going to get it before the vaccine comes out. So the lockdowns are not saving any lives. If, if those things are true, which they appear to be. However, we know the lockdowns are costing people's lives because the unemployment is ticking up. That increases suicides, that increases drug overdoses, other issues as well, which we've talked about on this show. The people pushing the lockdowns, this is like the cherry on top of the Sunday to argue against the lockdowns. The people pushing them don't believe in them. They're willing to lie about them on television like hypocrites, like Chris Cuomo, but even Chris Cuomo, Andy Cuomo's own brother, doesn't believe in them. And yet they expect us to because there are different rules. There's a different set of rules for American citizens, regular old Americans and media people and politicians and immigrants and everybody else other than you. And it's BS and we should push back on it. Bill de Blasio, great example, mayor of New York, the second New York stooge. Bill de Blasio is, uh, from day one violating the lockdown orders. He says, everyone's got a lockdown and then he keeps going to the gym. Remember the lady in Chicago, mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot said, everyone's got a lockdown, don't get any haircuts. And then she gets a haircut, different set of rules for her. So now de Blasio, he puts his foot in his mouth again. He says, when we reopen, the first thing we're going to do, the first, the moment that we can, can stop social distancing is we're going to have a ticker tape parade and bring out millions and millions of Americans to stand really, really close to one another. Here he is. The day is coming when this city will fight our way back when this city will get back to normal. The day is coming when we will overcome this disease. The day is coming when I'm going to be able to tell you we can gather again. The day is coming when I'll be able to tell you, in fact, we will be having the concerts and the street fairs and the parades again. But I want to guarantee you one thing, that when that day comes, that we can restart the vibrant, beautiful life of this city again, the first thing we will do is we will have a ticker tape parade down the Canyon of Heroes for our healthcare workers and our first responders. We will honor those who saved us. The first thing we will do before we think about anything else is we will take a time as only New York City can do to throw the biggest, best parade to honor these heroes. The first thing we will do when we think we've sort of got this highly contagious virus under control is hold a citywide orgy. We have to hold a citywide orgy. I mean, young and old, men and women and everything in between. We're going to do that. That's what New Yorkers do. The moment that we, we think we've got this contagion under control, we're all just going to rub up on each other really, really close. Uh, it's kind of too hot, too cold here, Mayor de Blasio. <laughs> How about just reopening some businesses and getting a little bit back to normal and still being careful? And maybe don't flood the country or the city rather with like 12 million people in the streets all at once. Okay. Maybe just start with like 12 people. Okay. Or 1200, even 12,000, but you know, you don't need to go zero to 60 uh, immediately. Another, my third New York stooge, AOC just tweeted out something 
it was an attack on Tucker Carlson. Uh, but she, AOC doesn't realize that two things can be true at once. So Tucker has, you know, criticized her just like other people on the right have criticized her. And they've said, look, she's this bartender uh, who doesn't know a whole lot about legislation and the country would be better off without her. And also she's lying about her upbringing. She actually is more privileged than she says she is. So AOC is really upset about this. She tweets out, am I just a bartender who should go back to making drinks without health insurance? Or am I secretly a deceitful child of privilege because I'm an heiress of the Swanson frozen food empire? Oh, wait, sorry. That's Tucker Carlson. Okay. So she's getting this dig in at Tucker, but she's saying, which is it? Am I just a bartender who should go back to making drinks? Or am I a secret child of privilege? Both. She's both. She is both. I know that she pretends like she's not, but she is. She is privileged. She grew up in a very, very wealthy town. The town actually coincidentally next to the town I grew up in at exactly the same time, except her town is much wealthier. Very, very wealthy town in a very, very wealthy county, one of the richest counties in the country. And then she attended a very expensive private school, Boston University. Didn't do her much good, but I'm sure she paid a lot of money for it. That is privilege. Even if she got a scholarship, which I don't think she did, but even if she did, right, she still obviously is a product of this privilege. Then after college, she became a bartender and the country would be better off if she went back to mixing drinks. Those things are both true. She's saying, she's saying, how could I be a child of privilege if I had a modest profession after college? I don't know. I don't know why you chose the job she chose. Being a bartender is a perfectly fine thing. I'm friends with a lot of my bartenders. <laughs> you can be both things at once. You can be a rich kid or a privileged kid or come from a rich place, right? Those are different things, but the effect of it is kind of the same. It's privilege and you can be a bartender. So that's all true. Uh, she realized, I think, the problem here, and then she doubled down. She says, also, can we talk about how racist and classist the presumption is that when people say they're from the Bronx, folks like Tucker equate that with assuming all the worst things about our upbringing? Our lives don't have to match some chicken heirs idea of a struggle to be validated. AOC is saying that it's wrong to equate growing up in the Bronx with a tough upbringing. She's the one doing that. That's why she's pretending that she grew up in the Bronx is because she wants it to seem like she had a tougher upbringing than she actually did. And by the way, she didn't grow up in the Bronx. I bet you I've spent much more time in the Bronx than she has. <laughs> it's because her only argument is, well, on the weekends, she would occasionally go visit family in the Bronx. Yeah, me too, man. Okay. We all, I, we all went to the Bronx on the weekends. That's where you buy the good super sat and the prosciutto. Okay. So <laughs> it's all so stunningly hypocritical and off note, it is possible that AOC can have the worst of all things. She can have all of that, that unearned privilege, right? Which is so terrible according to the left. And she can still not know very much of anything and be bad for the country. Those two things can be true at once. Before we go, just want to remind you it's Earth Day and it's the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. And to commemorate this event, we should remind you that one of the Earth Day founders, uh, is a lunatic murderer who killed and composted his girlfriend. That guy's name is Ira Einhorn. He was uh, a, a master of ceremonies at the first Earth Day celebration in Philadelphia in 1970, April 22nd. Uh, seven years after that event, his girlfriend dumped him because he was a weird hippie loser. And so he, when she came over to his house to get her stuff, he murdered her and then stuffed her in a trunk and composted her because he did take his environmentalism very seriously. 
He then, like so many leftists before and after, got away with his crime for at least some time. The next year after he murdered his girlfriend, Harvard gave him a lecturing position, hired him to teach at the Institute of Politics, because they love those left-wing radicals there, right? They welcomed him with open arms. You can read about it in the Harvard Crimson newspaper. Uh, Finally, they caught him because there was this weird red-brown liquid that was leaking from the ceiling of the apartment underneath his. Uh, Then the co-founder of Earth Day jumped bail, fled the country for 17 years, finally was extradited and put on trial here. The left always tries to call this fake news. So the Earth Day founders and the mainstream media, they try to say, this guy, Ira Einhorn, had no relationship to Earth Day. He was not a co-founder, but the photos don't lie. He he was, he portrayed himself as a co-founder at the time and afterward. History books about it have portrayed him as a co-founder and described him that way. There are photos from the event with all the crowds in front of him, of him speaking at the lectern, at the microphone. He obviously was very involved in the planning of the first Earth Day. And that is an uncomfortable truth because he, like so many environmentalists, was an absolute nut. And they're trying to, uh, to distance themselves from that nuttiness. But it's just uh, not possible because we've got the photographs. We've got the evidence. We keep talking about it. Earth Day was crazy then. It remains crazy today. It's a bizarre, pantheistic bacchanal uh, whose predictions have uh, basically none of them have come true. And uh, that's why people are ignoring it 50 years later. And probably we should, we should continue to ignore it as well. But don't forget the history because it's pretty weird and creepy. All right, that's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen.